Hi everyone, this is Arthi from Human Chapters. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about Human Chapters. Humans are living narratives with the past, present and future. These narratives constitute of a number of chapters across a lifespan. The aim of these conversations is to highlight a chapter of the narrative and unpack its connections to other chapters. I don't care whether people are natural storytellers, but I truly do believe each one of us has a worthy story to share. An acknowledgement to country. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land which now comprises Greater Shepparton. We pay respect to their tribal elders, past and present and emerging. We celebrate their continuing culture and we acknowledge the memory of their ancestors. And today we're very fortunate to um, be having a conversation with Amira and Amira is from the UK and her chapter is Vaginismus. And yes, I'll give the platform to Amira to introduce yourself. Thank you so much, Artie. It's a pleasure to be here. So I label myself as a sex educator, which is a funny title to give yourself, um, given the fact that I am constantly learning about sex myself. So I don't label myself as a sex educator because I need because I know everything about sex. That's not true at all. It's simply because I feel that there is a need for good sex education amongst our communities. And it's something that I needed to do myself. I needed to educate myself about sex in order to heal a struggle that I went through personally myself. That struggle that I went through is a condition known as vaginismus. I didn't know that I was going through it at the time. Uh, but eventually I found out that I was struggling with painful intercourse, painful sex with my husband. I didn't know, like I said, I didn't know it was called vaginismus and I didn't know what was wrong with me. And at first I didn't know how to heal myself. But upon educating myself about sex and how sex works, how to have sex in a pain free way and upon educating myself about my body, slowly but surely I was able to heal myself from that condition. So I was finally able to experience penetrative sex with my with my husband in a pain-free way and after overcoming that challenge um, and knowing that it had a term it was known as vaginismus after overcoming it I saw that there's a need in the world wh where many women go through the same thing and they need to overcome it so I decided that this was kind of like my divine purpose that God gave me that condition for a reason um, uh, that the fact that I had to live through it and overcome it so that I could use that experience to help other women to overcome it too. So that's what I do now. I'm, I'm a sex educator, but I think even more importantly, I'm a vaginismus coach because there are women currently going through this condition where they are struggling with painful sex or painful vaginal penetration of any sort. And they really need help and support to overcome it. And it's my honor that I'm able to help them uh, to overcome it. That's awesome, Amira. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your struggle? What causes vaginismus? Um, basically, the journey that you went through to get a diagnosis for it. Um, yeah. Yeah, great question. So I'm going to start by saying that for every single woman, it could be slightly different. There, is a, there could be a slightly different cause. But essentially, it comes down to two main things, I would say. One is kind of the lack of education, or it could be misinformation, it could be myths. So that's kind of one side of it, which causes um, mental and emotional trauma of some form. It doesn't need to be major trauma. 
Um, it doesn't need to be something like sexual abuse or anything like that. It's simply if we don't have the right education, we are not empowered. Uh, or if we are living in a community or a household where we are given false information about sex and we are just told that sex is something bad, sex is something dirty and that kind of thing, that will produce a, a response in your body that can lead to mental and emotional trauma. So that usually leads to some kind of fear-based emotion towards sex, especially if women are hearing stories like first time sex is really painful, they're going to develop a fear around it because every single human wants to protect themselves from pain. No human wants to put themselves under unnecessary pain. So there is going to be a fear of pain. So that's the one side of things. The other side of things is that fear will cause a physiological response in the body that initially the woman may be unaware that that's what's happening. The physiological response in the body is where the pelvic floor muscles, the muscles that surround the vagina, um, those muscles start to contract in a kind of automatic subconscious way. So anytime we're afraid of something, naturally you will start to see your muscles start to tense up. You could become quite closed up. Uh, and that's in relation to any kind of fear. But when it comes to the fear of pain from vaginal penetration the pelvic floor muscles especially will start to contract and they will start to kind of close up the vagina and make the vagina really narrow and so whenever a woman is attempting vaginal penetration it could be that she's trying to put a tampon in it could be that she's going to the doctors to get a cervical smear test it could be that she's trying to have penetrative sex for the first time because she has that fear and her pelvic floor muscles are contracting and she's trying to insert something into her vagina, she notices that it's really difficult and really painful. And then it kind of becomes this vicious cycle where she remembers that pain. And so the next time she attempts penetration, she again is closing up, contracting her muscles. And so she kind of feels like, what's wrong with me? And um, most women at the time that they go through it, don't know that what they're going through is called vaginismus. Typically, most women will discover it's called vaginismus either by doing their own research or by going to the doctor or a medical professional and saying, I'm going through this. And then the doctor or professional will suggest that she may be going through vaginismus. Um, so that's um, in terms of my own situation, I went through it quite a long time ago. This was like about 11 or 12 years ago at the start of my marriage. And I, as I said, I didn't know it was called vaginismus, but I was too afraid to go and get an official diagnosis. So I self-diagnosed, which is okay. It's okay to do that. However, I still, at this point in time, based on my own education, I still do recommend to women that yes, you can self-diagnose, but it's better if you can. Uh, and if you feel confident enough to go and speak to your doctor about it, simply to rule out any other physical abnormalities or any other medical conditions. So I do recommend that it's not what I did. And thankfully, there wasn't any other issues with me. But just in case, just for that peace of mind and security, I do recommend seeing a medical professional first, um, having them diagnose you of it. If you are too afraid for, for them to put anything into you, communicate that with them. You know, they can't force anything upon you. So you can approach your doctor and communicate that with them. And um, you can still kind of maintain your rights medically that nothing needs to be forced upon you because I'm, I'm, the reason I'm saying that is because I was afraid that if I went to the doctor my doctor might try and insert an instrument um nowadays we we have more knowledge about our rights medically so if you go to the doctor and you are adamant that you don't want them to insert anything 
but you simply want to get checked up that there's no other issues, they could do other scans and checks to just make sure that there's nothing else medically or physically uh, wrong or that needs um, treatment. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And my other question is that do you find that in the medical profession, there is a lot of knowledge around vaginismus and in terms of diagnosing it accurately, um, effectively and sort of in time or that early diagnosis what have you found through your it's a great it's a great question and it's kind of unfortunately it's a little bit hit and miss Mm -hmm. and I think at the moment it's a bit more miss than hit and what I mean by that is I've I'm just basing it on the experience I've had with working with multiple women multiple clients and a lot of the same stories are coming up where they will say this is from women who do go and see their doctors they will say to me, I've been to the doctors and my doctor knew it was called vaginismus. And so told me, I think you're going through vaginismus. So kind of gave them a diagnosis, but didn't really know how to help them much more than just suggest. So some doctors will say things like, all you need to do is relax. Um, all you need to do is like have a glass of wine to relax yourself. And again, that doesn't work for every woman. Some women don't drink wine or alcohol. So it's, it's kind of like, they the doctors may know what it's called but don't know fully how to help and then there are some doctors who are a bit better where they'll say okay I think you have vaginismus I recommend you see psychosexual counseling or you go and use these tools known as dilators so some doctors do help with that Um, but what really is needed is a more holistic approach to treatment because as I mentioned earlier vaginismus is kind of caused in two ways by the kind of mental and emotional state that a woman's in and what she's thinking about what she's feeling but also it's the um the knowledge needed about her physical body and about how her pelvic floor muscles work and the training she needs to be able to get those pelvic floor muscles to be relaxed so she is going to need she may need to work with a pelvic floor physiotherapist. It's not essential. She doesn't need to work with one, but it could be helpful. She may need to work with someone like a coach like myself to help with the mental and emotional side of things. I do a lot of healing work in my coaching. I do also provide the training that she needs to know about her pelvic floor muscles. So I think doctors are getting better. I mean, uh, a few months ago, I did a talk to the NHS about vaginismus and what doctors can do to become uh, better educated about this topic and how they can better support their patients um so it is getting better compared to you know back when i was going through it um but i think there's still room for larger awareness about this condition especially given the fact that actually a lot of women are going through it there are some studies that um, there are some research statistics that say that it can affect up to 20 percent of women globally and i think that that number is probably higher and if you think about 20 percent of the global population of women that's a lot um and i think it's just more women need to come forward and say i'm going through this and i need help and not feel ashamed or embarrassed to speak to their doctors about it. Absolutely. Wow, 20% of women going yeah. through it. That is a crazy stat. Um, Absolutely. Okay, so you talked about the holistic approach. Um, is it okay if we go into more details around the treatment side of things? Um, treatment first in terms of, yes, holistically, what? which professions are involved, what are their roles, followed by the actual implication of vaginismus on quality of life, um, relationships, and yes, everything else. 
Great question. So I'll start off with the treatment. Every single woman is an individual. And so the treatment that works for one woman might not work for another. So um, for some women, it could just be a simple, it could just be that they simply need a bit more education about their bodies in terms of how the pelvic floor muscles work and how she can relax the pelvic floor muscles. She may need to spend some time practicing to insert objects into her own vagina on her own, rather than having a medical professional trying to put something in or a husband or a partner trying to put something into her vagina. It's her empowering herself by practicing on her own first, either with a tampon or with dilators. Dilators are a set of tools that come in gradual sizes. So they start out really small and gradually kind of increase in size just so she can practice inserting those objects. Lubrication is also important. So it's kind of the more physical side of things where she needs a little bit of knowledge and just she needs practice. For some women, that is all that she needs to be able to feel confident to be able to have penetrative sex. For other women, that's not enough. And usually the women where it's not enough for them, they need a little bit more mental and emotional healing. So they may need to work with a specialist in the healing realms. It could be that she needs to speak to a psychosexual counselor. Um, So those kinds of more mental and emotional approaches will be necessary for her. And then there are women where that doesn't work and they need to go to kind of a bit more of an extreme form of treatment. Um, And I say extreme, it might not be extreme. Every woman's different but she may want to consider something like, and it doesn't always work, but some women say it does work. So I'm going to say that for those women, she may need something like Botox treatment. And I'll talk about how that works. I don't personally recommend it, but some women have said that it helps them. So that's why I'm mentioning it here. Botox treatment, but there's also um, surgery where if the woman's hymen is an issue, the hymen can be removed. Um, When it comes to vaginismus, The hymen is not the issue because as I mentioned earlier, vaginismus is not caused by the hymen being in the way or anything. Vaginismus is caused by the pelvic floor muscles contracting, causing the vagina to be narrow. A lot of women have this misconception that their hymen is in the way or their hymen is causing pain. The hymen itself doesn't cause any pain. The hymen is very thin. It's like a thin membrane and it's not like fully covering the vagina. It's it's kind of like, it's usually got perforations, but in some women, and it's very rare, some women have an imperforate hymen where it's where the hymen is pretty much fully intact. So if, if that is you, and you can get that checked again by a medical professional, if that is you, if, if the woman's listening and thinks that, that she may be, may be suffering from that, then that's where surgery would be helpful to have the hymen removed. If she has a fully intact hymen, it's very rare. Most women, most, so if you think about, um, a baby girl when a baby girl is born her hymen is is going to be pretty much intact with not many perforations or hardly any perforations but as that baby girl grows uh, and she moves her body the hymen because it's so thin and stretchy over time the hymen starts to kind of form perforations and kind of disintegrates a little bit so it may still there may still be remnants of the hymen but it's not like fully covering the vagina most girls are able to have a normal period and and so that's a sign that your hymen is not intact if the period blood is able to flow through um so the surgery is there only in rare situations if the hymen is like fully pretty much fully intact or she has an imperfect hymen so the hymen can be removed but the hymen removal in a lot of women and this is what they're telling me doesn't fully help with the vaginismus because it's not treating the root cause mm-hmm. and in the majority of women women the root cause of the vaginismus is 
some kind of mental or emotional trauma. It could be mild trauma that you might not even think is a trauma, but it could be something as simple as hearing your parents say something about sex and you registered it in a negative way. And it, the trauma still remains in your body and that needs to be healed. So that is most women need some form of mental and emotional healing alongside the education and the physical training where they practice inserting the objects um, because the practice allows them to know how to relax their pelvic floor muscles. And so then they can then do that same thing when it comes to penetrative sex. So that's the kind of the different forms of treatment. The Botox, I, I just, I, I just remember that I need to go back to it. The Botox, um, some women say is helpful. It's like, I'm sure what you've heard of Botox used to like help, you know, with wrinkles and aging and that kind of thing. But some women um, have turned to Botox treatments in their pelvic region because it, the Botox relaxes the muscles. Um, I, I, the reason I don't personally recommend it is just because it's a temporary thing and you don't want to have to keep relying on that. And sometimes what I've noticed in some women is sometimes the Botox actually makes it worse because they feel like they are broken. They feel like they have to rely on this treatment in order to have sex. Whereas it could just be that they needed to know how to relax the muscles and they needed the more mental and emotional healing. Because if you think about it, if you are healed mentally and emotionally from your fear of sex, you will start to feel neutral about sex. You won't be afraid of it. And if you're feeling neutral and relaxed and calm, you're not going to be contracting those pelvic floor muscles. It's only when you're in that kind of fear state that the muscles start to contract. So I really do believe that the majority of women need the holistic approach in terms of mental and emotional healing, plus the physical side of things, the physical training. Mm. Uh, and, the, and the right education and the majority of women just like when you go through any difficult medical condition you need support to go through something like you know if someone has god forbid something like cancer you need to have people around you to support you every single step of the way that's right so talking about holistic treatment amira you mentioned your self-diagnosis what was your treatment like so my treatment <clears throat> was actually a simple treatment. I thank God I didn't need to do a lot of mental and emotional healing because I feel like my trauma was quite surface level. It was mild, very mild trauma. And the trauma I went through was that I, and you might not see it as mild trauma, but now looking back, I kind of see it as that a little bit where I went through high school and I remember hearing girls around me start talking about first time sex and they would start saying things like, oh my God, first time sex is so painful. Or they might say things like, I heard that sometimes women bleed a lot when they have it for the first time and they lose their virginity for the first time. So that produced those feelings of fear where I, I started to think, oh my God, when I have sex for the first time, I don't want to experience lots of blood or I don't want to go through all this pain. I think I even remember one person saying that first time sex is more painful than childbirth. These were like terrible stories that you hear as a teenager and you can't always blame teenagers because they're children, essentially. So those were the stories I heard. But that was coupled with the lack of education in my household and community. So I grew up as a Muslim and as Muslims, we didn't really talk a lot about sex. It was very much kind of kept taboo and um kind of shut down if you had any questions about it. And I never, ever blame my parents for that at all. Uh, my parents brought me up in, a, in an amazing way, but it just, they didn't know how to approach this topic. And I think they kind of expected me to just figure it out, out on my own, which I did need to do. 
But I think it is important in this day and age for parents, regardless of what religion you follow, it is important to openly talk about sex and it can be done in uh, in a way that is respectful and in a way that's in alignment with your religious beliefs. But it's not something that should be kind of shut down because sex is a part of the human experience. So. So I think that it's really important to educate ourselves about sex if we're not receiving that at home, take it upon ourselves to educate ourselves, but with the right sources. Unfortunately, there's the other extreme where kids nowadays, teenagers nowadays are not receiving the right sex education. And then they're exposed to damaging things like porn, which can have a very damaging effect as well. So it is important that parents take it upon themselves to do these preventative measures and to have open conversations. So it is important to educate ourselves about sex um, and see sex education as something that is lifelong. You're not going to know everything from one sex ed class. It's something that you need to continually educate yourself um, about, you know, in terms of sexual pleasure and enjoying it, in terms of your fertility, if you're a woman, in terms of birth control, in terms of how to have pain-free sex. There are so many different things and it is going to be a lifelong, um, a lifelong journey. Beautiful. Um, you talked about educating ourselves with the right sources what are the right sources so there are a lot I, I would recommend a lot of books there are books that you can get out there so some of them that I have right now I've got them in front of me one of the books is called come as you are by Emily Nagoski she talks a lot about um, female sexuality Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a book I have here that's kind of aimed at Christians but it's a good book it's called a celebration of sex there's another book again aimed at Christians called intended for pleasure there is a book um, there are books related to body image so one of the books is called body positive power um, another book is called more than a body that's again related to body image which is important when it comes to sex um, there's the book health at every size uh, could just go on there's a book called healing sex I'll just bring it out now there's a book called Healing Sex. So this is a mind-body approach to healing sexual trauma. Uh, I've got a book here called, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to get all of them out, a book called Vagina, a re-education. There are loads. Um, but I think what's important is to, if you were to go on Amazon and write sex education books, you will get a lot. Let me just put these book bags. Um, you will get a lot come up, coming up. And find ones that resonate with you and that uh, and that are where you are in your journey there's another book here that's also really good called beyond shame so this is creating a healthy sex life on your terms so a lot of people grow up with kind of shame-based messages about sex so this one's really good to read um there's this one here this is aimed at muslims i'm going to recommend this one as well there's another one these are aimed at kids uh, not kids so parents to educate their kids so how to talk to your muslim child about sex and then this one is aimed at anyone of any religion called sex positive talks to have with kids so these are just a few to get you started um and what i say when i want what i want to say about this is it's not it doesn't have to be like a book dedicated to your religion because i mentioned there are christian books that i read and i'm not a christian but i will still read them because sex is not confined to one religion it's a human thing so if you are reading a book for example aimed at christians and you are not a christian if there is something that doesn't fully align with your religious beliefs you don't have to follow it but the majority of things that you will find in these books are relevant to you because they are talking about things that all humans are going to probably experience at some point um, not just in terms of sex but if it's talking about shame 
most humans are going to have some some kind of shame whether they like it or not and that's just because of the society we grow up in sometimes we even hear shame-based messages in movies that we watch um, and it's just kind of that underlying message for example so sex education is really important um, and don't rely on school teaching your kids everything if you're a parent um, and if right now you are struggling with vaginismus um, the best sources are seeking out a vaginismus coach. I am one of them. There is someone called vaginismus coach on Instagram. So you just type vaginismus coach. Uh, her name's Megan. So you can reach out to her. Um, if you are, don't have vaginismus, but you want more kind of sexual health information, you could sometimes just type it into Facebook or Instagram or Google and come across people that you want to follow, people that you want to learn from. So there's someone called Sexual Health for Muslims. There's another woman called Village Auntie, a brother called Habiba Kande. So his book's really good if you're a Muslim or not even. So he talks about sexual sexuality and erotology in Islam. He has a few different books and they're really good. So Essentially, the message is there are so many sources, but don't rely on porn or movies to educate you. Rely on on good quality books and uh, people, you know, on social media platforms. Um, and there are you could probably find a few people doing talks on YouTube as well about sex. Like there are a few TED talks that are good that you can listen to as well. Beautiful. Thank you so much for that, um, Amira. My other question <coughs> is. Um, the implication of vaginismus as at a personal level um you mentioned briefly that it made you feel like there's something wrong with you um but at at a personal level and then at a relationship level what was that like and what do yeah women experience yeah great question so going back and thinking about what what it was like to live with it Mm. it was honestly really difficult Mm. like now you see me kind of openly being able to talk about it and doing this work to help women but I think back then when I was going through it I didn't really I wasn't thinking about anyone else I was just thinking about myself Mm -hmm. in the sense that I was I felt like I was the only woman to go through it and I felt um abnormal I felt like less than a woman I know I shouldn't have felt that way but it's it's true I did I just felt like why can't I do this natural thing that everyone else gets to do that's kind of how I felt and I just wanted to be able to like click my fingers and get rid of it um in terms of the relationship impact it really impacted my relationship a lot um based on the the status of our relationship back then right now my relationship with my husband is different back then I think because of the lack of education and because of kind of cultural expectations when it comes to sex that are slightly not slightly that are kind of misogynistic or yeah in in the sense that a lot of men I think in Muslim communities are kind of brought up with this message that sex was made for them and is not really made for the woman's pleasure it doesn't come from religion it comes from people like society and cultural narratives of sex Um, but back then my husband didn't understand what I was going through he was never again he wasn't educated properly on this topic either he was brought up here in the UK um, but in a Muslim household he his background is he's his parents are from Egypt so so he kind of expected me to be able to provide sex to him in that sense not in a bad way but he kind of didn't understand what I was going through I didn't understand what I was going through and I just kind of wanted it to I wanted to get get over this phase in my life and kind of just have sex and get it over and done with and not have this thing hanging over my head of like 
when am I ever going to be able to do this? Uh, and then I started thinking further again and becoming really anxious about the future and thought, if I can't do this action, will I ever be able to have kids? Mm-hmm. And that's currently what a lot of women are going through where they are living with vaginismus and they really desperately want to get pregnant. Um, so it did place a huge impact on my relationship with my husband, so much so that it got to a point where we had lived with it for, let's. I think it was at least a year that we had lived like that where we would try and have sex. It was too difficult and painful. So we would stop and try again and stop and try again, lived like that for a whole year. And it just felt like this bigger and bigger burden. And it was like, even though we were able to enjoy other parts of our life and we were able to satisfy each other sexually in other ways through non-penetration, which was good. It just felt like there was this one thing that we weren't able to tackle. And my husband didn't know how to support me. He didn't know what to do because it wasn't like in his control. It was me that I had to be responsible for myself, which is true. It wasn't him causing the vaginismus. It was a state that I was in that was kind of causing it. So it got to a point where we had lived like that for about a year And we then ended up having a conversation where my husband essentially said, look, Amira, if we continue living like this for another year, another two years, three years, we're probably going to need to be divorced because he felt like he couldn't live with me like that. And right now, when I look back on that, I understand that. I understand that if you, a lot of Muslims especially, get married to have sex, especially if they kind of save themselves for marriage. Not all Muslims do, but if you are a Muslim and you've managed to save yourself until marriage and then you get married and expect to be able to do this action where you're all excited about having penetration, especially because in movies, it's kind of the, the one type of sex we see. In movies, you see that the man inserts his penis into the vagina. And so even though we were able to have other forms of sex, it just felt like we, we weren't able to have the real sex, which is not true, but that was kind of how we were, what we were thinking about at the time. So what I see now happening is unfortunately vaginismus is one of the causes of divorce in some married couples or separation in, in couples. Um, and it, I don't believe it's a good enough reason. I don't believe that you should get divorced or separated from your partner for vaginismus, but it's a reality it is what's happening. And, and the reason I don't believe it's a good enough reason is because it is fully possible to overcome vaginismus. I, I think it's a good idea to be separated or divorced from your husband if he's like threatening you or shaming you for it. But if he's saying that, like, if, if your woman's saying like to the man, oh, just divorce me because I can't do this to you. It's not a good enough reason because you can overcome this. It's not like, you know, you were, you know, there was like some, there was cheating involved or infidelity, which is a very good reason to be divorced and separated usually. But something like this, when you understand that you are fully in control of overcoming it, it just needs, you need a bit of support and guidance and there's no shame in getting support and guidance. You need a bit of support and guidance to overcome it. Then if, as long as everything else is good in your relationship and marriage, then it's possible to, to stay together. Um, so yeah, I, th- I feel like I've gone on a tangent. Um, you were asking me about my relationship and how it impacted me. It impacted me very, very much um, mentally. Uh, like I feel like my mental health back then was really bad because of it. And I know that's true for a lot of women. And it very much impacted our relationship to the point where we were starting to talk about divorce. Yeah. And how did your husband, like... How did it unfold where was he able to eventually support you? And what were those interactions like um, with him? 
Yeah, great question. Yeah, eventually he was. And the way he was able to support me was once I made a decision and took it upon myself to find a solution to find treatment because it reached that breaking point where we started talking about divorce it wasn't that he threatened me or anything he just said look at me if we continue living like this for a few more years I feel like we're probably going to need to get divorced and I accepted that I I didn't think that was bad I thought that actually you're right I don't think I can continue living like this if I'm not able to have penetrative sex that was just my thought pattern back then so when I but then I kind of decided that let me see if I can treat myself. Let me see how to overcome painful sex. So what I did is I went online onto Google and I started literally searching for solutions to painful sex. And I did some research, did some reading, and I eventually came across the term vaginismus. Like I said, back then I didn't know what it was called. And then when I started reading and a lot of the people tell me, I I know you mentioned this just before our call, a lot of people don't even know how to pronounce it. They have no clue what it is. They're like, okay, what's this word that I see on the screen? It looks a bit funny. What does it mean? What does it involve? So I started researching what vaginismus was. And when I read what the symptoms were, it was literally like, I felt like a light bulb moment. Like I was just like, oh my God, this is me. This is what I'm going through. Thank goodness. I felt really relieved that what I was going through had a medical term. And the reason I felt relieved is because it made me all of a sudden feel like I'm not the only one. If there's a medical term for it, surely it must mean that other people go through this as well. So again, started doing more research about vaginismus. And I I read that one of the forms of treatment is by using a set of tools known as dilators or vaginal. They're sometimes known as vaginal trainers or vaginal dilators. Um, So I, I purchased these dilators and it came with a book that gave like instructions on how to use them in a step by step way. Um, and they recommended using lubricant the book taught me how to relax my pelvic floor muscles it it really taught me a lot about my body because prior to that I had never actually even looked at my sexual anatomy I had never looked at my vulva I didn't know the different parts I didn't even know where the opening of my vagina was so the book taught me a lot about my body which is really really important and then because I because it taught me how to relax my pelvic floor muscles and taught me that I can insert these objects in a gradual way, I started doing that and started practicing with these objects. And I started building up my confidence through that practice. Uh, So much so that I was finally able to use one of the larger size dilators. And that gave me all the confidence I needed because it proved to me that I know what I'm doing with my body. It is possible for my vagina to receive this object, fairly large object, Uh, with no pain and that was enough for me to then transition to intercourse and my husband was then able to go in for some women that's what that's all they need like I mentioned to you that's they just need a bit of practice and the right education for other women if there's stored mild or major trauma then that needs to be healed first Um, especially because a lot of the women I work with start telling me things that they notice that their legs are shaking that's an indication that there is still some trauma, some mental and emotional healing that needs to be done. Um, so if that's if that's what a woman's going through, then seek out help. I'm happy to help through the coaching I do or provide resources for that. Beautiful. And for if there are any um, guys listening to this um, conversation, what are a few things they can do to support their partners, um, particularly if it's yeah, a stage of confusion, a stage of the unknown, and yet there is that open communication or not, um, for that matter, it might be something that, you know, it might be a mental wandering that's um, happening. What can they do? 
fantastic question and really a really important question um the number one thing is to be really patient um to not put any pressure on your wife or on your partner to overcome this like with a deadline it's being extremely patient which i know can be hard if you're like really wanting to be able to have penetrative sex with your with your partner or your wife um but it is really important to be patient it is possible to still enjoy sex with your wife in a non-penetrative way and it can be just as pleasurable both of you can orgasm it's not um it's not essential to have penetrative sex in order to have a great sex life but i know that penetrative sex is one of the forms of sex that you want to enjoy with her so being really patient with her while she figures out how to heal from this mentally and emotionally but also physically um to support her if she is planning to use dilators and to practice with dilators to support her with that in any way that she prefers sometimes the woman might want the partner in the room while she practices sometimes she might just want to try on her own so she doesn't have someone there with that added pressure every woman's different and every woman needs something different so supporting anytime you have a conversation with her about it for example if the if the man says how is this going for like how is it going not asking how is it going with that kind of pressure it's just like really genuinely wanting to know how she's doing with it and if she needs any more help and support um and not feeling bad about the fact that she wants to use these tools there are some men again due to cultural beliefs there are some men that disagree with the use of dilators they feel like it's unnatural they feel like only a penis should be able to enter the vagina this you know, doesn't come from religion, it is okay for her to practice with these tools, especially if it's going to be able to help her to have sex with her husband or with her man in a pain-free way. So supporting her through the process and still being patient when she is ready to transition to intercourse with you, still not expecting it to happen straight away, doing it in a gradual way so she can become more and more comfortable with the penis being there around the vagina and then gradually over time being more and more comfortable with the penis going further and further in. Beautiful. And um, the other thing I did want to ask is why is sex such a taboo topic subject um, even till to date? I know growing up, it was a taboo topic in my household um, and very much that <laughs> part of it was maybe part of it was fear-based, but part of it was just the unknown. Um, yeah. Don't know. So therefore when, when it is the unknown, again, that is something that's causing the fear as well. Yeah. Go, you don't know what you're going to expect. Yeah. That's such a great question. Why sex is taboo. I think there are so many different reasons. Sometimes it's put down to religion where um, certain religions like the Muslim religion, Christians, Jews, I think I think quite a lot of religions where sex is something that is meant to be reserved for marriage. Some sex is something that is meant to take place behind closed doors. And so because the act of sex is something that is done in private, it's kind of seen as this thing that you don't have to talk about because it's a private act. Um, that's maybe one part of it. Another part of it is kind of, patriarchal society misogynistic views about sex or the way sex is portrayed um there's kind of sometimes two extremes where it's like if you grow up in this kind of religious household where sex isn't talked about but then you turn on the tv and you see sex really openly portrayed or you go online and you have 
porn images shown to you. It's kind of like sometimes some households might want to protect their children from all of that. So they kind of just to say, kind of just decide that if sex is everywhere, I need to go to the other extreme to kind of have a bit of balance where I just don't talk about it at all. Um, a lot of the time, like you mentioned, it is fear. There is a fear, I think, from parents that they feel like if they talk too openly about sex with their kids their kids are then going to get kind of too curious and then are going to want to start experimenting with sex and there is that fear from parents it could be the fear of I don't want my kids to get pregnant but it also could be the fear of I don't want my kids to commit a sin if they believe that that's a sin in their religion um, I don't want my kids to be hurt emotionally mentally which is a uh, which is a fact you know sex is not just a physical act it's very mental and emotional it can affect you emotionally so there are so many different reasons why it's taboo but I think what I do want to say is despite it being taboo right now it's getting better where it's becoming less taboo and that's a good thing we obviously don't want to go to the other extreme where we kind of um where we kind of see sex as this commodity and we don't see it as the beautiful gift that it is, the beautiful divine gift that it is, it, it need, there needs to be the right balance where we're not going to one extreme and never talking about it. And we're not going to the other extreme where we're like having images of sex everywhere. There needs to be the balance of like, okay, what do we need to know? What education do we need to know? How can we receive this education in a way that is in alignment with who we are in alignment with our beliefs and faiths um, and how can we feel comfortable talking about sex in a respectful way with our family or how can we feel comfortable talking about sex with our medical professionals and seeing that as normal so if I for example were to go and speak to a friend about a sexual issue that I'm going through it wouldn't be seen as abnormal I wouldn't receive weird looks from her she'd be like yes talk to me about it let me see if I can help you so I really want us to be able to talk about sex in a in a positive way and in a way where we don't feel ashamed or embarrassed absolutely and then sort of the polar end of the question um where women or people in general are finding it difficult to talk about sex because it could be both parties or just humans in general because it is a private matter um what can they do to feel a little bit more comfortable to feel like it's not shameful or it's not you know you're opening the closet door to well yeah how do they start off small I think the first thing is kind of that self-awareness, understanding that if you are experiencing shameful thoughts about sex, trying to become aware about where are those thoughts coming from. Um, and let's say you originally thought that these thoughts are coming from your religion. It's actually going and diving into the religious text and, and thinking, okay, what does my religion actually say about sex? And sometimes what we see is, um, a child might be growing up, for example, hearing from his or her parents where the parents say sex is bad. You know, we, we don't talk about sex in this household. We don't learn about sex in this household. That's kind of what how they grow up. But as they get older and are able to then educate themselves, it's actually turning to the sources, go and find, go and find religious scholars or people in your community that you look up to and asking them, is it okay for me to learn about sex? And more often than not, the answer is yes, you can learn about sex. Sex is openly talked about in many of the holy scriptures, including the Quran, including the Bible. It's talked about openly. So that means that if it's talked about in your religious text, it's something that you're meant to educate yourself on. 
And it's something that you can openly talk about because God is talking to you about this, about sex. Therefore, you should be able to talk about it and find out about this thing. So um, there doesn't need to be shame around it. Um, It can be done in a very, in a way that is very much in alignment with your beliefs, whatever beliefs you follow. Um, And I think it's accepting that, okay, if my parents don't really want to educate me about it, that's okay. I'm not going to force them to. It's I can go and learn about this myself as long as I make sure that the sources that I receive this education from are credible sources and not sources that are created for entertainment. So if you think about porn or movies, they are created for entertainment. They are not created to educate us about sex. So finding a book, a resource, a blog post, a TED talk, uh, a speaker or a coach or you know a person on social media that their purpose is to educate you about this then you know that they are usually going to do it with good intentions rather than purely for for entertainment purposes yeah beautiful and um one question that i um, meant to ask before amira is you talked about confidence and you talked about confidence developing when you um were able to use those dilators over a period of time what did that confidence look like for you and what was that impact on other parts of your life yeah so for me the confidence felt like I'm in control of my body because before when I was going through the vaginismus and not able to have sex with my husband it felt like every time we tried to do it I wasn't in control of what my body was doing. My body would just automatically tense up. No matter how much I wanted to relax, no matter how much I wanted this situation to occur for us to be able to have it, my body wasn't allowing me to do what I really wanted to do. And so the confidence is what I built up through practicing on my own. And that allowed me to feel like I am in control of my body. I know what I'm doing with my pelvic floor muscles. And most importantly, it felt like it's possible for there to be something in my vagina with no pain. Because for me, my thing was, I was really afraid of pain. I was afraid that my husband's penis going into my vagina for the first time would cause a lot of pain. I also had this myth that it was the hymen that caused pain, that when the hymen was kind of pierced by the penis, I had that idea that that's what caused pain. So I was so afraid of that happening. But through practicing with the dilators, I was like, okay, there's no issue with my hymen. My hymen's probably not even there anymore. And it's possible for me to accept these objects but even another thing that was useful for me was being able to insert some of the larger dilators because I kind of had this again misconception that if a penis is really big how can it fit surely if this penis is so big and the vagina is so small how can it fit surely it's going to be painful that's the misconception I had but by being able to insert a fairly large dilator roughly similar in in width to an erect penis it gave me confidence to feel like wow, okay, I can do the same thing with my husband's penis. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, And I know we will be wrapping up uh, now. Are there, oh, actually, I was curious about the 20% statistic of the global women. Was it um, particular ethnicities or was there any of that sort of... um, I don't know, revealed during the studies and research? Yeah, good question. No, not in the study that I looked at where it quoted 20%, but there was another study that did say vaginismus is more common in certain religious households, um, in certain ethnicities like South Asian Arabs, 
Um, those were the two main ones that came up. Um, and I think amongst the Jewish community, it's also quite common. Um, so it did say religious communities and South Asian and Arabs. That's kind of the ones that popped up for me. And that was so interesting because my mother is from Thailand. My father is from Egypt. Uh, even though I grew up here in the UK, my upbringing was kind of a Muslim upbringing, um, an Egyptian upbringing sort of as well. So I think that it does play a part in, in, in it. It can be a contributing factor. But having said that, there are some of the women that I work with that don't belong to any of those groups. They don't come from a religious background. They are not Arab. They are not South Asian, um, but they still go through this. So it can affect anyone of any religion or none. It can affect anyone from any country globally. So even though it may be more common, um, it doesn't have to be. The other thing I want to mention is some people have, some people think that vaginismus is caught is only caused if you go through like major trauma, like rape or sexual abuse, which yes, it sometimes can be, you know, if you go through something traumatic, like rape or sexual abuse, it can produce that feeling of fear so that you're so afraid of penetrative sex again and can cause the vaginismus that does happen. But the majority of the women I work through have never, thankfully have never experienced rape, have never experienced any kind of sexual abuse or mental or emotional abuse. It's just that they lacked the right education about their bodies um, and they just needed an opportunity to practice you know with tampons because sometimes again going back to tampons in some religious households sometimes women are not encouraged to use tampons they're kind of encouraged don't use tampons because you need to save your virginity there's this idea that if you use a tampon you've broken your virginity and that's absolutely false it's not true um, so they just needed an opportunity to practice for themselves rather than have someone else like a husband or a medical professional try and put something in them it's actually I need to do this myself first a few times so I'm relaxed and confident and then someone else can do it um and a lot of women do need the mental and emotional healing as well thank you and um so the final wrap-up question I know you need to be leaving soon but um do you have any main key takeaways for anybody um listening any gender any yeah Great question. I think that sex education is really important. Uh, even if you feel like you never want to have sex, I think it's just important to educate yourself about this function. Like your body was created for many different purposes, like the purpose to eat and to sleep and to move. Sex is one function of your body. And even if you never want to have sex, it's your sexuality is still part of you. I believe that sexual power and sexual energy is very powerful and impactful so educate yourself about sex um take it upon yourself to be responsible for that education um i think it's really important to see our bodies as miraculous and beautiful uh, to really to work towards improving our own body image this is relevant in so many different ways like even in just in terms of confidence confidence in a work setting for example if you have poor body image you may carry yourself differently in that setting so really work towards improving your body image educating yourself and if you're a parent taking it upon yourself to be their primary main educator when it comes to sex and their bodies and speaking about it in a very positive way rather than in a fear-based or shame-based way beautiful Thank you so much, Amira. It's been a real honor to be talking with you so openly and generously about sex, which is quite a taboo topic um, now. 
And anyone that's listening to this conversation and you feel like it will help any of your friends or just anybody else that resonates with it, please do share it. And I will put um, Amira's Instagram handle. Um, you don't use Facebook a lot, but if there is any other you have a website you can still tag me on facebook I, I i am on facebook sometimes i'm just not as active but i'm on there I, I think i'm on there at least once a day which is fairly active but i'm not as active as instagram instagram i'm on it a lot more often beautiful thank you so much amira for taking the time and having this important conversation you're welcome thank you so much Artie. it was my pleasure mm-hmm.